You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Relax. <laughs> well, hello everyone. Welcome uh, to SFNSF, Science Fiction Meets San Francisco. It's a perfect fit, we feel. We've been doing it for about five years here, and some of you have been with us all that long, long time. So I really want to thank you, uh, you long-standing fans and new people that are here tonight. Um, we have quite a few uh, good things coming up as well uh, as our treat tonight. Uh, we're, we're celebrating tonight, as you might have known, uh, Amelia Beamer's debut novel with our, our signature debut novel, Drink. And tonight we are serving zombie delight. So that's become a new hallmark of our series, it seems. So whenever an author appears with a debut novel, we will drink to it. So. But we do that every night as you when we're here. As you've noticed, we have a bar set up out there. And the nice thing about that bar is the proceeds, tips, uh, anything anybody tosses in that jar, uh, any money we make off it, that all goes to Variety Children's Charity of Northern California. I'm a board member of about nine years standing with Variety. And supported by Tachyon Publications, SF and SF raises money for Variety through these events. And we are a, an international children's aid charity. We've been around since 1927. Uh, and this chapter has been in San Francisco since 1947. Uh, so now you all know. And uh, we do some wonderful things helping children uh, in the greater Bay Area. Our territory is really from Monterey all the way up to the Oregon border so we have a lot of things to do with the money that we raise so of course the more we get of it the better we always feel which is why we encourage you to become budding alcoholics and <laughs> drink your butts off while you're sitting here it's all for a very very good cause and uh, our, our, our secondary slogan is booze for babes so <laughs> it's it's different we feel so anyhow uh, we uh, do these events once a month we have two authors here once a month we have a double feature film night coming up uh, September 22nd we'll be showing Ponyo and Wings of Aniamas oh I pronounced it right Wings of Aniamas yes two anime features then uh, October 16th uh, we'll be featuring Claude, Claude La Lumiere from Montreal here with a debut novel. Uh, oh, I'll have to come up with another drink. Shoot. Something with <laughs> Canadian whiskey, I suppose. Uh, and Karen Joy Fowler of the uh, Jane Austen Book Club and many, many fine uh, books besides, like Sarah Canary. She'll be here with her new collection, Out from Small Beer. Then we also will be featuring a special sort of performance on October 8th, I'm sorry, October 6th, Wednesday, October 6th, in conjunction with Litquake, which is, some of you may know, is a citywide literary festival where the city pulls out all the stops to support reading, authors, books, you name it. And we're going to have an event here that night with a number of authors, uh, Peter S. Beagle, Marta Randall, Cara Black, Dick Lupoff, and Michael Curland with an old-fashioned radio dramedy, <laughs> I think it's called, called The Maltese Omelette. It's a, uh, <laughs> it's a very, very funny take, but they'll be here in costume, in period costume, in the mode, and they'll be performing that live and uh, with a little Q&A afterwards. And for that, I am not going to come up with a drink. So they're going to have to con <laughs> confine themselves to whiskey, but I think whiskey suits the period. So, so anyhow, so if you want to find out more about these events, anything else coming up, we've got a sign-up sheet at the desk, at the, the front desk there. Uh, feel free to join our email list. 
we've been going for about five years. Hopefully we got a few more in as long as Terry is willing to accommodate us. And with that fabulous segue, Terry Bisson. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, thanks for being here, folks. Um, I'm not going to take a lot of time with the introductions because we're starting kind of late. So, um, but what we, we have two readers tonight, as you know, then there'll be a short break and we'll have a, a critical discussion, which we kind of like to do. Our first reader is, uh, as Rena says, a debut novelist, but she's anything but a debutante. This is a science fiction professional. She's an editor of Locus Magazine. She's published short stories and she's published uh, criticism with Gary Wolf and on your own as well, mm -hmm. I believe. Yep. And um, so she's uh, anything but a newbie, but this is a debut novel in the sense that she's one of the bright young things who are bringing this zombie novel back to life. So <laughs> let me introduce my good friend and colleague, Amelia Beam. Cheers. Thank you. So I'm going to read, um, can everyone hear me? If you can't, in the back, just throw something. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt of my novel, um, The Loving Dead. If you don't know it already from the title, um, zombieism is a sexually transmitted disease. Um, and in this section, I have a mid-20-something um, character um, who works at Trader Joe's and is on a uh, Zeppelin ride in the Bay Area um, with her secret sugar daddy because um, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I think that's all you need to know. Kate became aware of how long she'd been quiet. So it's St. Peter's Day off, she said. Jesus is filling in at the pearly gates and this old man comes up in the line. It's near the end of the day and he's tired of the normal question and answer that Petey always does. So Jesus says, why do you think you're here? It's kind of like when the cop pulls you over and what he says to you. The old man says, without skipping a beat, I am merely an old carpenter. I have been looking my entire life for my long lost son. I have looked everywhere. People said he would be here. The old man is obviously emotional and Jesus is affected. Everybody knows Jesus must have daddy issues. Jesus looks closer at the man's face. His nose looks awfully familiar. He drops to his knees and says, Father? Wait, Walter said. Before that, Jesus says, what does your son look like? Old man says, he has holes in his hands. Jesus says, I have holes in my hands. Old man says, Andy has holes in his feet. Jesus says, I have holes in my feet. Jesus drops to his knees and says, Father? And the old man says, Pinocchio? <laughs> it's funnier your way. Honey, are you okay? A man said, loud enough to make Kate turn and look. There is a pink-haired girl sitting on the floor of the Zeppelin. She's no older than Kate, and she had long nails the same color as her hair. She was skinny enough that you might think she was a dancer or an anorexic. Perhaps she was here with her sugar daddy, too. He squatted near her, reaching down a hand to help her up. Rebecca, a middle-aged woman said, sweetheart, something's happening, the girl said. Her eyes were white. Kate's mouth went dry. This couldn't be happening. That's the, the signal for, I'm about to turn into a zombie. That's what people say. Um, because I figure, you know, 
how else do you describe that? Kate looked around the airship cabin. Windows, windows everywhere, but a drop of a thousand feet. Honey, let me help you up, her father said. No, Kate said, don't touch her. She moved towards them, too slowly. The girl took his hand and brought it to her mouth. She bit the side of his palm. He yelped, she'd drawn blood. She lay on her back in the aisle, looking at her hand as if it had betrayed her. Then she smiled and licked her lips. The whole cabin was watching by now. Their chatter ceased. Kate cursed, she should never have come here. She should never have come here. She angled towards the flight attendant, pulled him away, trying to be discreet. We need to land this airship, she said. If we can get everyone off the ship quickly, we can avoid making a scene. The cabin was small. There was nowhere to quietly stash a zombie. We're on our way back, the flight attendant said. Below the ship was nothing but ocean and rocky islands. How soon? 20 minutes, maybe a little less. We can't just land anywhere, you know. It takes a landing crew, a big flat space. You understand that this is a serious medical emergency, Kate said, trying to keep her tone even. She sat next to the girl who parted her lips and flicked her gaze over Kate, sizing her up. The girl moved her mouth as if trying to work out what to say. She propped herself up on her elbows, jutting out her breasts. Already her movements were unnatural. Excuse me, Kate said, I don't want to do this, but it's best for all. She straddled the girl, who let out another moan. Kate put her hands on the girl's forearms, trying to judge whether she was more afraid of being bitten or scratched. What are you doing? The middle-aged man, who was not the girl's sugar daddy, asked. Get away from her. It's going to be okay, Kate lied, smiling at the parents. You, you have to trust me. She turned to Walter. Give me your belt. He stood in the aisle. Kate, what's going on? He put his hands in his pockets and then took them out and put them on his hips. She's not in her right mind. We need to help her. Kate looked to the group of watching passengers. She didn't want to be doing this. Please, you have to believe me. How dare you insult my daughter, the woman said, raising her voice. She's Phi Beta Kappa. She's going to be a zombie, Kate said. Walter, that belt, please. You're not doing anything to my daughter, the man said. What is this spectacle about? Rebecca, you stop this right now. His daughter bared her teeth and started humping Kate. Oh, Jesus, Kate said. Rebecca, honey, the girl's mother said, do you have something to tell us? Her voice had lost its anger. Because we'll love you, you no matter what. You know, your cousin came out, remembered everything was fine. Have you two been together long? She smiled at Kate. What's your name? Her smile was meant to cover her panicked tone, the way that women hide things. I wish it were that easy, Kate said. I mean, not to imply your daughter's easy. She willed herself not to blush. What was she doing? My name's Kate. Alex and my husband, Jerry. Kate did not reach up to shake Alex's proffered hand. The zombie licked her lips. There was blood on her teeth. This couldn't go on. Kate took another look around the cabin. Even the cockpit didn't have a door. There was nowhere to put a zombie. But there was one door the bathroom. Walter, please, she said, your belt. From behind Kate came a familiar sigh and a familiar sound of a clasp unfastening and leather sliding against fabric. Anything for you, honey, but if you think you're scoring points with this coming out story, it's not doing anything for me. <laughs> he was joking from his tone of voice, but also concerned. 
The girl exposed her neck, the universal submissive gesture. Kate had a distinct urge to see what that pale, perfect skin would taste like. She pushed the thought away. Then reconsidered. She was missing something important here. Then she saw it. The zombie's skin was unbroken. There were no obvious marks. She looked at the girl's arms and hands. No marks. Had the girl been bitten? And when? Father had his hand in his mouth. He was drooling blood into a Kleenex. He gripped the back of a chair with his other hand. He seemed like the kind of guy who would faint at anything worse than a scratch. Is she okay? A woman asked. <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but her family could sue you, child, a man said. You know, the Good Samaritan laws, they're not as strong as they could be. My firm would be able to represent you if necessary. Your father here can serve as witness. Everyone please calm down and return to your seats, one of the pilots called. Kate couldn't take it anymore. Simon says everyone take one giant step back, she said in a threatening voice. The group stood back, except for Walter, who said, Mother, may I? He wasn't one to leave a straight line lying on the table. No, Daddy, she said without thinking. She'd meant to call him Daddy for some time now. He'd hinted that he'd wanted her to, but she'd held off never sure if he didn't actually mean the opposite. Tie your hands for me, Kate said. You have to trust me. He winked. Maybe he, this was turning him on. Maybe he thought it was a stunt. She could feel him working the belt up behind the girl's thighs. Kate moved to give him room. He tightened the belt over the girl's hands. Then he grazed her ass with both hands. At least Kate hoped it was those were Walter's hands on her ass. If everyone could please be seated, the flight attendant said in a weak voice. The girl moaned, and Kate sat gently on her ribcage, holding her elbows. Sorry, she whispered to the girl. Someone open the bathroom door. We can put her in there. Just let her up so she can sh sit down, her father said. She's not hurting anyone. He put his bitten hand in his pocket and wiped the blood from his lips on the sleeve of his sport coat. He was distraught, one arm around the girl's mother. We don't know what's wrong with her. I don't think it's an overdose. Um, if everyone could please return to your seats and fasten your seat belts for landing, the flight attendant said. You're kidding, Kate said. She half rose from the zombie. Sorry, the flight attendant said. FAA regulations. Everyone must be seated. Kate grew angry. She turned to the flight attendant. You people don't know what you're dealing with here. Do you? The girl's father snapped. Show some respect. I ought to show you the back of my hand. Which hand? The one she bit? Kate couldn't stop herself. She looked to Walter, who shook his head. The girl's father outweighed Walter, and the fight would not be in his favor. The girl's father grabbed Kate's hair, pulling her to her feet. She struggled, her vision blurring from the pain. Oh, fuck, she said. The man let go, looking ashamed. Kate fell into the aisle. The zombie rolled on her back and sat up. She shook out her pink hair. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. We get our characters into the bathroom, as one does. Since they can't actually figure out how to get the zombie into the bathroom, we now have our main characters in the bathroom, hiding from the zombie. She shut the door behind him, then turned the lock. She could at least save him. It was cramped inside. They both had to stand, but there was a large window and a high ceiling. 
Their faces were close. They were both sweating. Inexplicably, he had a heart on. Honey, he said, I'd love to join the Mile High Club, but do you really think this is the time? Shh, Kate said. She looked out the window. They were still too high to jump, even if they could get the window open. They're all going to be zombies soon, and so are we, unless the pilots manage to land this thing. And we're not a mile up, not in a zeppelin, not even close. There are some things I need to tell you. That girl, he said, she put a finger to his lips. Shut up. She pressed her ear to the thin door. Through it, she heard the girl zombie moan. Her father moaned. A voice screamed. Then another. Kate watched the ground below, wishing it were closer. This couldn't possibly be happening. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe she was going crazy. If, if only. Something's happening, a male voice said outside the door. What's happening, Walter asked. Don't fuck with me. There was a knock at the bathroom door, fast and frantic. Walter reached for the handle. Kate grabbed his hand. We can't, she said. Help, a woman's voice squeaked. She was breathing fast. Let me the fuck in. They're biting. A thud followed, as if she were hitting something soft yet solid. Then more screams. Kate reached for the door handle. She couldn't let this happen to everyone. Walter grabbed her hand. I changed my mind, Kate said. We have to let her in. She won't fit, Walter said. Already the two of them barely had room to stand. She's going to turn into one of them if we don't. Walter pushed Kate under the toilet. There was no lid. Honey, you know more than I do, and you had better start explaining. Kate glared at him. You are alive because of me. Just remember that. Damn it, damn you. We could fit one more in here. She opened the door, pulling in a woman, the first unbloodied limb she could grab. Walter was pushed onto the toilet. Kate shoved the woman towards Walter, then leaned on the door to close it. Let me in, a man's panicked voice says. Four fingers scrabbled inches from Kate's face. The skin was unbroken, not gray or bloody, but there was no room. I'm sorry, Kate said. She closed the door on the fingers again and again until the owner retracted them. It was the hardest thing she'd ever done. She locked the door and turned to the woman. The three of them barely fit. Walter had to stand on the toilet. They were lucky the ceiling was high. Are you bitten? Kate demanded. Did any of them bite you? The woman was breathing fast. No, nobody bit me, but my wife is out there. You, you have to help me. Of course, Kate thought. Nobody came on a Zeppelin ride alone. There's no more room, Walter said. Like you said before, when there wasn't any room, there's still no more room. In fact, now there's less room than there was back then. Foot's really on the other shit now. Gonna change your mind again? His voice was dead serious, and she saw in that moment that he could kick her out if he wanted to. Her back to the door, Kate could feel someone pounding on it. The plastic was so thin. Move aside, the woman said softly. Please, I'll ask once. Kate shook her head, hating herself. This close? She could see the crow's feet around the woman's eyes, the remains of maroon lipstick feathered over her lips. She had a strange impulse to kiss the woman. Sorry, the woman said. She slapped Kate surprisingly hard, then again on the same cheek. Kate lost her balance from the force of it. Time slowed. Her face stung. It had been years since anyone had hit her, and padded weapons and bamboo swords didn't really count. She put a hand to her cheek, trying to understand why she was so turned on. The tiny bathroom was a bedlam of bodies. Kate was lifted onto the toilet, and Walter took her arm to steady her. She held her cheek. 
was hard to think. The woman opened the door, hands reached into the bathroom. It was loud outside. Nora, the woman shouted. One of the hands waved. The woman clasped it and pulled. The hand was followed by sleeves, shoulder, head, torso, and another arm. In her other hand, the woman called Nora, held a fire extinguisher. The bottom end of it was coated in blood. Make room, Nora said. She was 40-ish, 50-ish, and slender. Let me in, someone else said. Let me in, bastards. Kate was pressed against the wall. She was trying not to step into the toilet bowl. She found Walter's hand and held it. He squeezed her fingers. She watched Nora use the fire extinguisher to beat the hands reaching into the bathroom. Their owners screamed and begged. Blood ran down the door. A small and selfish part of Kate was grateful that she was trapped and not the one beating back the hands. It wouldn't be Kate's fault if they died here now. Finally, the two women pulled, pushed the door shut and locked it. Then they embraced the fire extinguisher between them. After a moment, Nora pulled back and slapped Christine, her wife's name, leaving a bloody handprint. Kate understood where Christine had learned to slap like that. Don't ever leave me again, Nora said. She rinsed her bloody hands in the sink. It was impossible to see whether she'd been bitten. They were crammed into the bathroom, back to back, belly to belly. Don't ever leave me again. I'm sorry, I got scared. Nora cupped Christine's face. She tried to wipe away the blood, but only smeared it. Oh, honey, look at you. She hugged Christine close, then kissed her. Christine returned the kiss, opening her mouth. Nora worked one hand under Christine's shirt. She let go of the fire extinguisher, which landed with a thud on the floor. Screams from the cabin grew louder and more frequent. So did the moans. What now, Kate? Walter whispered. We drift. Drift? Well, we'll land eventually. You know, maybe there's an autopilot or... Maybe the pilots are still alive, but we should come to ground eventually. We're losing altitude. That's your plan? He asked. The wind's inland. We could wind up in Lake Tahoe. Gives a whole new meaning to Donner Pass, Kate said. She tightened her grip on his hand. We're only a few hundred feet up. We'll probably land in the Oakland Hills. So long as the wind doesn't change. They fell silent. The two women had gone way beyond the kiss of reunited lovers. Nora was unzipping Christine's pants. She knelt, and Christine gasped, bracing herself on the metal handrail. Kate couldn't stop watching them. The likelihood that the Zeppelin would land safely and that they would get out alive seemed awfully distant. If they were going to get eaten or turned into zombies, there were worse things to do with their last few minutes. I'm going to stop there. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>